Hola, my beautiful humans. This is Jasmine Castillo, and I bring stories and cases from the people of color community, bringing awareness of murdered and missing indigenous women, girls, two spirits, the LGBTQ community, Asian American, Pacific Islander, black indigenous people of color. These are their stories. So welcome to Hands Off, my podcast. wanted to kick off May a little bit early because May is Asian American Pacific Islander Awareness Month and May 5th is Missing and Murdered Indigenous Person Awareness Day. Missing and Murdered Indigenous People or MMIP are often underreported and due to data deserts of information it can be hard to find details of these cases in fact, Indigenous women face murder rates that are more than 10 times the national average. We want to promote these cases to a larger public with hopes to uncover answers and draw attention to a vulnerable population that has an unproportionate amount of unsolved cold cases. From the National Crime Information Center, 5,712, that's the number of known incidents of missing and murdered Native American women in 2016. Murder is the third, the third leading cause of Native women. Of the more than 5,000 Indigenous women who are missing or murdered, 35% are under the age of 21, and 27% are under the age of 18. I wanted to give a shout out for the case and story suggestion by Sydney from Speak Her Truth True Crime off of Twitter. Brittany waited for her bus like any other kid around the time of January of 1998. She was a beautiful little girl and she had the biggest, beautiful brown eyes and a head, shoulder length, brown curls. Brittany was a five-year-old girl that loved the everyday things of life. This is Brittany's story. I'd say Brittany was your typical five-year-old who enjoyed butterflies and her favorite TV show, Barney the Dinosaur. Boy, I remember that time when my kids were around that age. Brittany Lynn Locklear, off of Ganey Road in Hoke County, North Carolina, with her mother, Connie, stepfather, Charles, 
and sister Brianna. Her mother Connie mentioned that Brittany was bright for her age. She even walked and talked before her first birthday. And by the time she was five years old, she was wise beyond her years. Brittany was Native American, part of the Lumbee tribe. And I like to give a little backstory in regards to the Lumbee tribe, which I have been trying to connect on all levels of understanding the indigenous tribes in the land that we currently reside on. I would love to give recognition to the Lumbee tribe. Here's a little bit of background on the history and culture directly from the LumbeeTribe.com history culture website. In 1885, the tribe was recognized as Indian by the state of North Carolina. The tribe was sought full federal recognition from the United States government since 1888. In 1956, Congress passed the Lumbee Act, which recognized the tribe as Indian. However, unfortunately, like the U.S., and there are many recognitions or non-recognitions of tribes. The act withheld the full benefits of federal recognition from the tribe. Efforts are currently underway to pass this federal legislation that grants full recognition to the Lumbee tribe of North Carolina. And the Lumbee tribe of North Carolina has about 55,000 members residing primarily in Robeson, Hulk, Cumberland, and Scotland counties. The Lumbee tribe is the largest tribe in North Carolina, the largest tribe east of Mississippi River, and the ninth largest in the nation. The Lumbee take their name from the Lumbee River, which winds its way through Robeson County. Pembroke, North Carolina, is the economic, culture, and political center of the tribe. In this area where Brittany lived, with her family in the morning of January 7, 1998. was like any other morning. Connie Chavez woke her daughter, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, right around 6.30 a.m. to get her ready for school. Brittany loved school, and she attended kindergarten at West Hulk Elementary School. Of course, during this time, there was a little bit of chilliness in the air, but Connie knew that it would be warming up in the middle of the day. So just to have her prepared for the morning was a little light jacket that she'd like to have her wear. Would look like kind of like a red riding hood. Connie decided to dress Brittany warmly with a green denim overalls and green and white socks with green and pink tennis shoes. And of course, a little green hair tie to match her outfit, to make their way to the bus stop, which is about 200 yards from the front of the house. And she didn't want to forget about her purple butterfly backpack. The two headed out in the brisk January weather to the bus stop. Connie had Brianna on her hip. And of course, as mothers are, they're constantly focused on making sure their children are ready out of bed with everything from warm clothes to a full tummy for the day. 
that we sometimes we, we do forget that we need to also take care of our needs. There's a time that we completely forget about our own urgencies. And a sudden urge to go to the bathroom had overcame Connie. And she wasn't aware that the school bus was running late that morning. But of course, the bus is supposed to be arriving around 7 o'clock. So instead of holding it, which is <laughs> what we tell our kids not to do, she made a split decision to run the 200 yards back to their home and use the bathroom. Now only a few minutes have gone by. Once she got done relieving herself, she quickly peeked out the window to make sure that Brittany did grab the bus on time. But what she didn't know is that the bus was actually running late that morning. There was a frantic knock at the door. It was her neighbor, Rose Johnson. She was out of breath and struggling to speak, struggling for her words to come out, to tell Connie that she just witnessed someone abducting Brittany. For some reason, those words, just, I, they could not be comprehended. It didn't make any sense what was coming out of her neighbor's mouth. Brittany abducted? Johnson and her husband witnessed a brown pickup truck come flying around the corner towards Brittany. Stops seemed to have swooped down to pick something up, put it in the truck, and peeled off as fast as they could. Now, Connie was a little bit confused because her neighbor was mistaken. It had to be. This was a small community, and none of those types of things happen in a neighborhood like this. Just to calm her mind and to confirm that Brittany really did take the school bus and is at school, Connie asked her father-in-law, James Stevens, to drive her to West Hulk Elementary School so she could confirm that Brittany arrived safely. But unfortunately, that was quick-lived. Brittany did not arrive at school that day, and the horrified realization that her daughter may indeed have been abducted. Connie made the frantic call to police to report her missing. Her voice over the phone must have provided such a strong conviction to the Cook County Sheriff's Department that they quickly gathered the available officers on the scene immediately, roadblocking around the family home, creating a perimeter where officers stopped and interviewed every vehicle traveling along the remote Ganey Road. Even interviews with all the neighbors were conducted, including Rose Johnson, the neighbor who reportedly witnessed the abduction as well as several other children that also witnessed this kidnapping, about 600 meters from where Brittany stood. The majority of the reports of the witness, they cited that this was a brown pickup truck driven by a white man or a light-skinned Native American. And unfortunately, the speculations of other reports that this wasn't a brown truck, but a blue truck. But throughout my research and articles, it was confirmed to be strongly that it was identified as a brown pickup truck driven by a white man or 
a light-skinned indigenous person or a light-skinned black man. An immediate search in the area was underway, with officers joining forces with family and friends. Less than two hours from the abduction of Brittany, there was a big break in the case. 9 a.m., Brittany's clothes and backpack were found on a dirt road just two miles away. Finding Brittany's clothes immediately made law enforcement verify that this gives a slim chance to find Brittany alive. Brittany's clothes and purple butterfly backpack was located right off the street called Three Guys Loop. Brittany's family prayed for her safe return. Her pair of green overalls and pair of green and pink tinny shoes were the items that were confirmed to belong to Brittany. This search for Brittany spread like wildfire in the neighborhood. Neighbors and friends turned out in droves to offer their support early afternoon. Approximately 500 family members and friends and local residents, as well as soldiers from the Army Fort Bragg, joined the search for the missing Brittany with Sheriff Hood, who was overwhelmed by the response from the community. Sheriff Hood had identified that his resources were short and limited because he only had three full-time officers available. And during this time of Brittany's abduction, the Amber Alert was in its infancy in 1998. It did not exist in North Carolina until 2003, which is five years after Brittany's abduction. So during that time, it was considered a, a bolo, be on a lookout. So through the rough terrain, they made their way through the prickly bush and made sure that there was no evidence, no matter how small, overlooked. And from the air, highway patrol helicopters with infrared technology. Unfortunately, the weather began to hinder and ended its small community search as well. They made the painful decision to call off the search until the following day. Connie, Charles, and Brianna held their breath. Connie was heartbroken and even told the reporters that, quote, she was scared someone had killed her. You always hear it on the news and you never think it'll hit home, but it has, end quote. And she began to plead with the person responsible to please bring her baby home. Investigators had spent most of Wednesday looking into the family's background, searching for anyone who may have had a motive to take Brittany. Almost from the get-go, they seemed to have been a grudge against the family's biological father, who was absent since Brittany's birth. However, he was thoroughly investigated and interviewed by, at length by SBI, State Bureau of Investigation Agents and he was quickly ruled out. And as the sun rose the next day, on Thursday, January 8, 1998, the search party commenced. They wanted to cover as much ground as possible because time was racing against 
the chance of finding Brittany alive. It's a crucial first 48 hours. They went through ponds and swamps. Even the whole County Sheriff Wayne Bird was issuing a warning to the public out of desperation, giving information that would have made possibly be a not-so-good decision-making on his end. That anyone with a brown truck would be stopped and questioned. Connie, Charles, and Brianna's world came crashing down. At 2 p.m. January 8, 1998, Brittany's body was found. Her body was found in a roadside ditch, and Brittany's autopsy revealed possible sexual assault and drowning as her cause of death. This beautiful child, her body was thrown in a roadside ditch like trash. My heart breaks. As the time starts ticking by, residents from across the region flooded the office with tips. This is something that Sheriff Wayne Bird was not prepared for. It was estimated between 1,600 to 1,700 tips came flooding in. And because of that, during that time, Jay Tilly, an agent for the State Bureau of Investigations, in the early weeks of investigating hundreds and hundreds of calls each day, Tilly gathered manpower, but it was not enough to handle all the calls. Jotted notes, pieces of loose-leaf paper. Unfortunately, some of these tips slipped through. And as I mentioned before about the color of the truck, that was one of the things that had come up again eight years later. Tilly had said that the investigators thought that the truck could have been almost any color, almost any make or model. And they followed up on every single lead, tracked tips full time for about a year. Unfortunately, detectives returned to their regular assignments. However, Brittany's family tried their ways to cope. Her mother, her stepfather, Charles Chavez, and as time went by without an arrest, there was a lot of passing through the hands of sheriffs voted in and out of the office. So, unfortunately, by 1999, Bird had been voted out. A new sheriff was in town, Jim Davis. He'd vowed to solve this case. Unfortunately, this became such a scandalous way of treating this family and this beautiful girl, Brittany. They used her story to get votes in their campaign. Unspeakable what people can do to a grieving family. It's just beyond me, beyond my understanding on why they would do such a thing. But unfortunately, it was a publicity stunt. 
and they dragged this beautiful girl's name and her family just to get their votes. And also, this same sheriff tried to intimidate Charles' father, James, into confessing to Brittany's death. Unspeakable. This Jim Davis showed photographs of Brittany's half-naked body to Charles' father, James Candy Rose Stevens. This did not budge. He did not waver. So in 2002, an election year for sheriff in Hope County, Davis called a news conference to talk about Brittany's death. However, again, a publicity stunt. He had no information. And when Connie Locklear Chavez got wind of this conference, her and her cousin angrily accused the sheriff of using Brittany's death to help his campaign. And of course, I side with Connie. I would be fuming. It's appalling. Now, if you know anything about sheriffs run for years until they're up for re-election, Hoke County went through three sheriffs within a three-year period. Fortunately, in 2001, Hoke County voters elected for Hubert Peterkin to replace Davis. And so when he came on as the third sheriff, he was the one who actually dedicated himself to investigate Brittany's death. And to this day, Peterkin and Connie's family have a good standing and keeps in communication with the goings-on on the investigation of Brittany Lynn Locklear. There was a handful of possibilities of then finding and convicting someone of a, or at least being involved in the abduction and murder of Brittany. But none of those stuck throughout the years. One of them particularly did. And that was, in 2002, investigators thought that they had a break in the case. And this was less than a year into Peter Kinn's term. Carthage police in August of 2002 arrested a Fort Bragg firefighter. The firefighter in question? Keith Lundry in a bank robbery. Of all things, the firefighters who went through his locker found a photograph, a, like some type of newspaper clippings of Brittany. This is almost five years after Brittany's abduction and murder. And of course, the family, the media, the public, they wanted to know what kind of photograph this was. And why did this firefighter have it? Was he involved? Is this finally over, the search finally over? Unfortunately, they were no closer to knowing who abducted and murdered Brittany Locklear. His DNA was tested against samples recovered from Brittany's body, and ultimately he was cleared of the suspicion. In 2018, Keith Laundrie passed away, taking any information that could have possibly helped break the case and to give Brittany's family at least some hope and comfort. They wanted justice for their little girl. And they got nothing but pain. And their wounds were constantly opened. 
with broken promises and false leads. Brittany's setting up and funeral were held in the county, only a place big enough to hold a crowd that they didn't expect, but over 6,000 people attended. At the J.W.H. Arlington School, they came to honor her, mourn her. Even her kindergarten classmates served as pallbearers. When I read that, I could barely process this. To see that these lovely children get to experience firsthand a lost classmate is unimaginable. There was at least some good that came out of the manpower, the police department of Hope County. With the little manpower that they had, they were able to manage to investigate and receive over 1,600 tips. However, they were desperate they even interviewed registered child molesters within a 50-mile radius of Brittany's home. And he actually assembled a psychological profile on the killer. And this is directly from the WRAL newsletter. That the suspect would likely be experiencing a great deal of stress would be increasing their use of drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, and probably taking an interest in News of investigations, if they lived within a 50-mile radius of Rayford, that they hope that this person is remorseful and will turn themselves in. I think as the time goes by, I am extremely hopeful knowing that there is the ability to solve this case because now we have the genealogy systems like 23andMe and Ancestry.com you know, through the servers. And there's a lot of cases that are being matched by people who are related to other persons that actually have committed the crime. And they could be related to them by as a first or second cousin and can trace them back to finding more information about this person. And if this is something to consider for Brittany's case, especially if there's more people submitting their DNA on these platforms, this could be beneficial for a lot of cold cases. And unfortunately, at this time, nothing has come out of these platforms as of yet to solve this crime. But it has happened. There is a $20,000 reward for information leading to the conviction of Brittany Lynn Locklear's killer. WRAL reported in 2006 that investigators have followed on 1,700 leads in the case, and the State Bureau of Investigation estimates that 92 agents have worked almost 9,100 hours. And thankfully, because Connie has a good relations in communication with the third sheriff of Hope County, Peterkin, there might be a chance that we'll find a lead, especially for Connie and Brianna. Because Brianna's childhood was deeply impacted by the death of her sister, and she was only 18 months old at this time. 
and even Connie had mentioned that she wasn't even allowed to ride the bus until she was in high school. That she even kept Brianna out of kindergarten until her last two weeks of school because she was so afraid that this was going to happen to her. Being at the time that her sister had been killed in such a tragic way, Brianna, I see you and remember you are loved. Brianna wants to remind us that the case is still open and will remain open until there is justice for Brittany. It has been 24 years. If you see something, say something. Again, there is a $20,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the persons or person responsible for the abduction and murder of Brittany Lynn Locklear. If you or someone you know has information regarding Brittany's case, please reach out to the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigations at 800-334-3000. I will have this also underneath the show notes. Thank you for listening to Hands Off My Podcast. If you are enjoying the podcast and you'd like to support the mission, I do have a Patreon membership that will help the cause and bring more detail on cases and stories from the people of color community. If you yourself has a lost loved one or a story suggestion, please don't hesitate to contact me at email. Handsoffmypodcast at gmail.com And if you are only able to support in another way, please give this podcast a 5-star rating on Apple or Spotify and continue to listen to upcoming episodes every Thursday, wherever you listen to your podcast. Dios te bendiga.